every time I hear a gospel that talks about sheep, um, I, it reminds me of when I was growing up. Uh, my grandfather um, was a ray sheep. Uh, so I grew up across the street from a, a sheep farm. Um, and I remember being a kid, getting off the bus after school, going over to my grandma's house because she always had the best snacks, right? Um, and then waiting for my grandfather to get home because when he would get home, that meant that I could go with him and we would go feed the sheep, right? Um, so I remember I was four, five, six years old, and uh, I was waiting for him. We would, he would come home, put on his rubber boots. I put on my rubber boots, right? And we would go walk to the, to the sheep yard. Um, and it was interesting because he had probably about 15 or so sheep, um, and he had one goat. Uh, and like whenever we would go, it was it was really cool to see because whenever Jesus talks about sheep and he talks about lambs and he talks about the, like livestock, um, I, I have firsthand experience with these animals, right? Um, one of the things that I remember is the second that the sheep would even see or hear us messing with the, the gate, they would all come up to the gate, right? Because uh, they knew what was going to happen. They, they knew they were about to be fed. They were always excited. Um, so as we were walking, it would be like he would start unlocking the gate, and then I'm the little turd that would be like they're screaming at him and scattering him away, but they would all come right back, right? Very, very gentle animals, um, but like super, super, super animals of like habit, and like they would just follow us very, very gently. We'd go into the barn, get the feed, whatever it was, and go ahead and buckets here and bucket there, and we'd make sure to check all, everything we had to check. My one rule, though, uh, when I was with him was, he's like, you can go play around, whatever, you can go do whatever you want, just be careful, climb on the fence, or whatever, you can do whatever you want, that's fine. The only thing he would say is, stay out of the goat's pen. And I never understood why, but like he, he told me, he said, like, because a goat, it's aggressive, it's territorial, right? The sheep, if they come, if you're walking through, they're going to walk up, and as long as you're not like really being mean to them, they're just going to like kind of walk by you, and you can play with them, and you can scare them, whatever, they're going to come right back, it's fine. But he said, if you get, if you around a goat, they're much more aggressive. So like, if you're in their space, they're going to aim for you, right? Like they're they have the horns, they're going to try and hit you. They're going to try and like establish their dominance in their in, in their space. So I, I've always remembered that. And today, whenever we hear this image of the sheep and the goats, it makes sense because the sheep is the docile animal, and the goat is the stubborn one, right? The goat defines for itself what it should do while the sheep is completely reliant on the shepherd. Why do I think that's such a big deal? Is because today when Jesus is talking, he's talking about eternal life. He's talking about the most important thing, right? He's talking about where the goal for every one of us, heaven. And he's saying that on one side are sheep and on the other side are goats. And I think the detail of the type of animal they are, meek, humble, following, as opposed to aggressive, stubborn, self-determinative, if that's a word, right? I, I think what we see is, is that there's these two very, very contrasting kind of attitudes towards eternal life. Like, for example, if, if someone today, if you're walking around, let's say, downtown Thibodeau, you're in New Orleans, you're, you're somewhere, you're walking around, and somebody comes out of nowhere and just puts you in the spot and says to you, do you think you're going to heaven? How would you answer it? I, I got a feeling if you hear it 9 o'clock at night, right after Thanksgiving, right, that you're probably sitting there thinking, I'd probably say yeah. Or at least I hope so, right? Like, we'd probably have some kind of, like, affirmative answer. But then if they follow that question up with why, 
what, what reason would you give? I know if I was put on a spot, my reasons would be something along the lines of, um, I go to Mass at least somewhat regularly, right? I try to pray. I try to be a good person. I haven't killed anybody, right? Try and keep at least most of the commandments. I think a lot of us, I got a feeling, would our answers would be kind of in that family of answers. Might sound something like that. Might rhyme with that, right? That's very, very different than what Jesus says today, though. Like, that's a very, very different level or different bar than what Jesus sets today for us. Because Jesus isn't mixing words today in our gospel, right? Jesus looks at the people and he says to them very, very clearly, you want to get into heaven, here's what you got to do. Feed the hungry, drink to the thirsty, clothe the naked, visit the ill, visit the imprisoned, comfort those who need it. Corporal works of mercy. That's your homework. That's a high bar. That, that, that's actually a much higher bar than I'm a nice person and I didn't kill anybody. Which is a pretty low bar. But Jesus today gives something that's gives us a teaching, gives us a, a lesson that is challenging. And in fact, when he's doing this, this is the last thing he tells his apostles in the Gospel of Matthew before he gets into his passion. Before he gets to Palm Sunday and then all of the suffering and everything of Holy Week and the resurrection, on and on and on, we know the story, right? But this is the last teaching that he leaves with his apostles. Matthew 25. Take care of those who are the least if you want eternal life. Now, I think it's interesting when we have this reading, because it's a hard, it's a hard lesson, right? It's a hard teaching. It really is. It's, it's asking a lot of every one of us. I think it's really interesting that this reading, uh, the church chooses this gospel to go along with today's feast. Because the feast day that we celebrate today is the feast of Christ the King. And that, that, that language of a king can, can maybe give us some different images. Um, one of the images that comes to mind whenever I hear Christ the King is I think of the movie Braveheart or the movie Gladiator. I think of like an evil king, a twisted king, a bloodthirsty king, a brutal king. Somebody who's about conquest and, 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 and torture and, and, uh, and, and just winning at all costs on the battlefield. A tyrant, if you will. If we think of Christ the King and pair it up with today's Gospel, then all of those things that Jesus says is scary. It, like, it, it, it just seems like, man, that's a really high bar, God. That's a really high bar, Jesus. Like You're setting everybody up to failure. And basically, if we don't meet this expectation, if we don't meet this level, then you're going to look at us and say, go to hell for me. That's rough. That's kind of scary. Like, who can be saved then? But, but I think, for us, 
that image of king is not meant to be a tyrant. The, the image of the king is meant to be a shepherd. Because that's what we hear in our, in our response to the psalm, right? We hear about the shepherd, the shepherd image. Because if we know who the king is and we know how we relate to him and we know who he's supposed to be, then all of a sudden what those lessons are are really for our good. I'll use a story as an example. Um, when I was a kid, I remember, if you come to Daily Mash, you may have heard this before, and I apologize um, for being redundant. Or if you come to confession with me, I may have said it in there. Um, but I remember when I was a kid, I was uh, probably about 11, 12 years old. Um, and at the time, I was watching, like, the X Games, uh, if you know what that is. I'm, like, from the mid-2000s. So, you know, like, I, I remember, like, it was, like, bike tricks and skateboards and all that kind of stuff. Tony Hawk, old guy, you don't remember him probably. But anyway, um, but, like, I remember, like, watching all this stuff and playing the video games and all. And I remember, like, at my grandma's house, there was this one spot uh, on her driveway that was like the perfect ramp. Um, it was a concrete spot. I could ride my bike as fast as possible and just get like a good little jump. Um, and me and my cousins would ride our bikes and we would jump and ride our bikes and jump and ride our bikes and jump. But one day I was by myself. Um, I remember the, the, distinctly, I had a brand new t-shirt that my mom had just bought me like at a baseball game or something. And she was like, do not mess this shirt up, right? But I'm an idiot. So, like, I was like, no, I want to wear it, and I'm going to wear it, and, like, this is going to be great. And I'm riding my bike, and I decide, like, this day, that I'm going to – I decide that I'm going to start doing bike tricks, right? Because I'm getting, like, sweet, super awesome air, guys. Anyway, um, I'm old. But I was like, I was like, this is going to be great. I'm riding my bike. I'm jumping. I'm jumping. So I get to this ramp, and this day I was like, I'm going to do the simplest trick I can think of, a no-hander. So go off the ramp. And it's exactly what it sounds like. You take your hands off the handlebars, extend your arms out, put your hands back on the handlebars, catch them, and ride it on out. Great. So I was ready to do this. This was going to be awesome. I pedal. I go as fast as I can. I hit the ramp. I jump. I take my hands off. My hands get about three inches above the handles, handlebars, and then the handlebars turned. And I went, uh-oh, because when I went to go back, there was nothing there, right? So I swing, I miss. Now the handlebars are actually like pointing at me. And gravity's taken over because gravity's a law and I'm going to lose this battle, right? So I hit the ground. Well, if the handlebars are facing me, that means the wheel is sideways. So when I hit the ground, I stop. Well, the front wheel stops. And I went back wheel over the handlebars. Handlebars jabbed right into my side. It felt really good. Shirt rips wide open. I go face first into the, 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 by like an oak tree. I'm like hurting. I'm, I'm like all, I'm all bruised up. I got like some scrapes and stuff. I hit the ground. Face goes on the ground. I get up. I'm like, okay, I'm alive. I'm all right. Everything's scratched up. I caught my breath. I look down and I see my shirt wide, like ripped open. And I had like some scratches. It wasn't terrible. But I remember looking down and the first thing that came to my mind was, my mom is going to kill me, right? Then I started crying. <laughs> like, I was like, I'm like thinking about the corporal punishments that's coming. I'm like, I wish I could wreck again on my bike because that hurt. That's going to hurt so much less than what my mom's going to do. So I walk in the house hysterically crying. My grandma sees me. She freaks out. My mom sees me and she just, what happened? Like she, she sprints up to me when I come in the door. What happened? 
and I'm, <laughs> I can't get the words out, like I'm, I'm afraid, crying, like all the stuff, hyperventilating, right? And then at one point, after like 30 seconds of her just screaming at me, what happened? I finally calmed down enough to get the word out. My shirt. And her response, now you got to remember, I'm dirt, blood, like all this stuff, like scrapes and everything. She looks at me and she goes, I don't care about your shirt. Are you okay? Just very simple. I, I don't care about the shirt. Are you okay? I, I was absolutely petrified of the tyrant. I was absolutely petrified that I didn't listen to everything I was supposed to do and do everything exactly how I was supposed to. I was absolutely petrified of this idea that the authority figure in my life, my mother, was going to be a tyrant and was going to come down with all the justice in the world. Corporal punishment. Bang. Right? And it seemed like hearing, I don't care about your shirt, was enough to just kind of diffuse it all. And she helped me out. She cleaned, cleaned me up. We threw the shirt away. She didn't care. Because she was more concerned about my good. When we see God as a tyrant, we operate in fear. That's not how He wants to work. But, but God as a shepherd is more concerned about our good. I'll share, I'll share another story. Um, in, in the 1800s, um, before like a lot of our more modern, um, like our more modern um, forms of entertainment, right? Like book, like even like books and movies and things like that. Before those things were really popular or really widespread, what would happen a lot of times, especially like in the western part of the continental United States, like as settlements were happening, going out towards the west, um, what would happen is is that little troops of uh, of actors and actresses would go around and they would do like performances, right? So they might do like some Shakespeare, or they might give like, have some like orators, some people who were professional like commentators and speakers, uh, and they would go from town to town, and they would do these different things. Well, there was this one day that this, pro this professional speaker was in this certain town, and he was doing all these different things like Shakespearean so soliloquies and, and all these kind of things, and at one point, he gets to the end of his, his time, he gets to the end of his performance, and he looks out at the congregation or the, the, the audience that was there, and he says to him, he says, uh, any request? And he took a couple of requests, and he's like, last one, anybody else? And there was a preacher that was sitting in the back, and he looked at and he raised his hand, and he said, could you do Psalm 23? And the speaker stood there for a second in front of this, front of this audience, all kind of staring at him, and he says, I'll make a deal with you. I'll go first, and you do it after me. Deal. Sure. They're going to recite Psalm 23 today, our, our, our responsorial psalm. So the speaker starts, and in all of his drama, dramatic ways, and all of his rhetoric, he starts, The Lord is my shepherd. There is nothing I shall want. Fresh and green are the pastures where he gives me repose. Like he goes, he goes over, all dramatic and all beautiful, and like perfectly recited. And after he was finished, Everyone cheered. That was beautiful. Great job. Awesome. <sighs> Wonderful. And he looks at the preacher and he says, the stage is yours. The preacher walks up from the back, really humbly, just stands there, 
doesn't have the professional training, stumbles over his words from time to time. But he starts. The Lord is my shepherd. There is nothing I shall want. Fresh and green are the pastures that he gives me repose. Near rest the waters he leads. He revives my soul. He says it calmly. None of the drama. None of the flair. And at the end, the audience was silent. Except he could hear some sniffling. And people he could see people wiping their eyes. A tear here, a tear there. The speaker stood up, came back to the stage and said, Ladies and gentlemen, the difference between myself and this preacher is that I know the psalm, but he knows the shepherd. Knowing the shepherd, knowing Christ the King as the shepherd, as the God who is merciful, as the God who is loving, as the God who is willing to sacrifice, as the God who is willing to go out and to reach us wherever we find ourselves, changes everything about the Christian life. Changes everything about what, why we're here. Changes everything about the faith that we profess. Our, our, our church in in the United States, um, the bishops have been asking that we do a uh, that that we do a um, a, a Eucharistic revival. Um, roughly seventy percent of Catholics that sit in the pews, uh, church-going Catholics, Sunday Catholics don't believe that the Eucharist is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. That's of a, a poll from like 2017-ish. So about, about almost three quarters of our, our, our faithful don't believe in the source and summit of our faith. So the, the bishop said, well, we need to do some kind of a revival, some kind of a, of a movement to, to try and get people to believe more in what it is that we celebrate, in the, in the faith that we profess, in the sacraments that we celebrate. And I think that's absolutely true and good and beautiful. The problem is, if we don't first know who it is that we're coming to meet, everything remains a bunch of rules and empty ritual. If we don't know the God that we come to meet, then subjectively, my experience is still just empty ritual. Father dressing funny and standing up there and talking too long. Right? Or a bunch of rules that we have to follow. But if we know God as the shepherd, if we know Jesus Christ, who he is, why he came, then it transforms everything about our experience of the faith. Do we know, if the faithful don't know that Jesus entered into humanity to meet us, that he died for our sake, that his mercy is available and ready, that conversion is possible, and that God wants to work in our lives in the sacraments in a real and total and profound way, if we don't first know that, then we can spend all the money we want in the world to try and buy a revival and nothing's going to happen. Is our heart convicted that Jesus is who he says he is, that he did what he said he did, that his mission was absolutely accomplished, and that I can be the beneficiary of it? Because if we're not convicted there, everything remains empty rules and rituals. 
what we're going to do over the, over the Advent season, so next week starts Advent, what we're going to do over the Advent season in preparation for the coming of Christ at Christmas, what we're going to do is every week we're going to break open a little bit more of who Jesus is. Who he was promised to be, who he became, and how it is that he operates. And in that way, maybe, just maybe, when Christmas comes, we can receive him more fully as the person that he is, as the shepherd that he is, not just as a holiday. But today as we come to this Mass, let, let our prayer first and foremost be asking the Lord, Lord, reveal to me who you are as a person. Lord, let me experience the comfort of who you are as that shepherd. Lord, work in my life so that I can feel your gentle hand working 